The word of the Lord from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God is for you. That's what Paul is saying. There's no if about it. Therefore, he says, who can be against you? No one can overpower the Lord or trump his authority. If he is for you, who can stand against you? No one. There will be those that try, namely the usual suspects of the devil, the world, your sinful flesh. And among those, we need to include all sorts of people who, whether they have the best or worst of intentions, seek to lead you from God and thus lead you to stand against God. God is for you. But how do you know for sure? The next few questions in our epistle tell you how you can be certain. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's your certainty. It's Jesus and his cross. God has already given up his son for us all and therefore for you. He didn't spare him, but rather condemned him on the cross so that he might spare you. Spare you the judgment of hell for your sin. Having already paid that terrible price to redeem you, why would he not care for you and preserve you in Christ? The price has been paid for your sin, so God no longer calls in the debt from you. And since your sin is gone for Jesus' sake, what would keep God from helping you? Nothing. That's why you can be sure that he will graciously give you all things. Please note, with great joy and thanksgiving, that the reason God is for you is Jesus and his sacrifice. The reason is not you and your sacrifice. That would be no comfort at all if Paul said, God is for you because of what you've done, assuming you've done it well enough. 
that would leave you constantly asking, have I done well enough? Until you finally agreed with the law and said, I can't do well enough, therefore God is not for me. But God is for you because Christ has done enough. His cross is sufficient for all your sins. Speaking of sins and how you can't do well enough, the devil sinks in a claw or two with that temptation in order to make you doubt. All right, the devil whispers. I'll concede for the moment that the Bible says that God has given his son on the cross for you. He's God and he gets things done, but what about you? You still sin, and for someone who says that God is for you, some of your sins are downright wicked. So say that God is for you all you want, but I'm telling you that you're not for God. You're still sinful, says the devil, and so you're still mine. I don't imagine that it gives the devil much joy to talk about God's holiness and faithfulness, but if he can use it to make you think that God couldn't forgive the likes of you, he'll do it. So Paul gives the next obvious question and answer to send Satan packing. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Keep that one in mind for those times that you're tempted to believe that your sins and failures are too much for God to forgive, that you have to be more faithful before he can forgive you. That sounds noble, but it's not. It means that Satan has brought a charge against you, but knowing that it won't wash before God, he's brought the charge to you instead. He said that you're too sinful to be forgiven, that you forfeited your standing as a child of God. Thus, Paul's question, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, the Lord declares to you, So, Satan charges that you're guilty before me, that you're no longer in my care. I'm the one who justifies. The devil's trying to make you doubt my verdict. He's trying to make you doubt that Christ died for you. Listen up. I say you're not guilty. Who can bring a charge against you? No one, because I have the final word. The next question in our text supports this even more. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Picture for a moment a criminal who stands before a judge and asks for mercy when the evidence against him is overwhelming. There's not much hope for mercy there. That's how the devil would like you to picture God, as the harsh judge will only help you when you show that you have turned your life around. But God, the judge, wants so much to pardon you and be merciful to you that he's already sentenced his son for your sins, your crimes against his law. And the death sentence has already been carried out. If that's not enough assurance, Paul points out that Jesus is risen and at God's right hand to intercede. And that was the position of the defense attorney in ancient courts. Jesus, risen from the dead, defends you. So if the devil were to still to accuse you before God and say, this one is sinful and must be condemned, 
The Son of God would retort, Liar, I have already been condemned for this one. So the judge and the defender are both on your side. It's redundant justification. It's grace upon grace. God justifies you and Christ intercedes for you. Who is to condemn you? No one. Then comes the fourth question, perhaps the more famous part of our text. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, troubles come. You've had a few joys this past year, I hope. You've got your share of scrapes and scars, too. You can't know for sure what's coming next. When Paul lists things like persecution or famine or nakedness, he's, he's listing those things that he has suffered. Your list will be different. But 2023 will have a sufficient amount of troubles as long as you live in a world hell-bent on destruction. You can be certain that trouble is coming. You can also be certain that none of these things can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. But let us be careful here. What I mean is this. Famine, nakedness, unemployment, and the rest do not destroy faith. None of these affect your standing before God. Only unbelief does. That is why when you contemplate troubles to come or are overtaken by them, the question Paul would have you ask from the text is not, how am I going to endure this or that trouble? The, the answer to that is, the Lord will use it for your good and then deliver you, for you are among his beloved people. The better question to ask is, how might I be protected and delivered from unbelief, which would separate me from God? Make no mistake, the point of this text is that the devil will use every last trial on every last day to try to wreck your faith, to make you think that God isn't for you anymore. So the question to be asked is, how might you be protected and delivered from unbelief? How might your faith be strengthened so that you're always comforted that God is for you? The answer is as obvious as it is humble. It's a means of grace. God's word and God's supper for you, his baptized child. These seem like such little things and quaint rites when compared against the fears and pains that trouble can bring, because we are always tempted to view death and destruction as far more powerful than God and his grace. But if your faith is to be strengthened, Go to where God strengthens faith. Go to his word. Go to his supper. God grants you this ongoing diet of heavenly food so that you can be sure that he is for you. It's the double comfort of Christmas and New Year's Eve so close together. God is with you 
and God is for you. So when you are confronted by some sort of trouble, make the sign of the cross and remind yourself out loud if you like, you are baptized and so God is for you, so who can be against you? This trouble can make you miserable for a while, and your enemies, devil, world, and your own sinful flesh certainly mean such things for your harm. But you are the Lord's, and he shares his grace and his victory with you. While your enemies would use this trouble for evil, God will use it for good to refine you, to teach you trust and prayer, to strengthen your faith, and to make you look forward to eternal life all the more. When you are tempted to doubt that God can still forgive you because of your sins and past transgressions, remember, Christ has died for you, and it is God who justifies you. If he says that you are not guilty, then who says you are? Certainly not God. It is a liar who contradicts God, like the devil or maybe your own sinful flesh. But God always speaks the truth, and he says that you are forgiven for Jesus' sake. Hold firm to that truth and confess it often, dear friends, because there will be times when you must speak that truth to contradict even yourself. Such times are terrible trials and grave temptations, but the word of the Lord is sure. When you are tempted and troubled to believe that you are cut off from God, then know that Christ Jesus is the one who died for you. No less than the Son of God has taken your place for your sin. Who is going to condemn you and cut you off from God now? No one. Furthermore, Christ is at God's right hand, praying for you and interceding for you. Is there any way that the Lord does not hear your prayers? No, he does, and he will answer. And on top of that, Christ is present with you, present by his word and his supper, to strengthen your faith and graciously give you all things. God is for you, not against you. And because he is for you, he is here for you. In the midst of this text, St. Paul quotes Psalm 44, As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The people of God cry out to the Lord in that psalm, Where is he? Has he abandoned them? That may be your cry, too, when trouble comes, and especially when trouble stays. But the answer from God for his people is this. He does not regard you as sheep to be slaughtered. He gave his son to be born of Mary to be the Lamb of God, led to the slaughter of the cross, so that you might be spared. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Dear friends, God is for you because Christ has died for you. And because Christ is risen from the dead, God is here for you. Troubles will come, but you are not forsaken. God is for you now and forever. A blessed new year to you all.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.